resurrected king, defeated death and sin at the right hand of the Father, sovereign. But my eyes see pain and death, a global pandemic, civic unrest, injustice, division. My mind is swirling like oil and water. Faith is challenged. They say they saw you, risen from the dead. I want to believe it. I think I can, but I didn't see the body and I didn't feel the scars. They say a lot of things. And me, I have my doubts. Like hairline fractures threatening my religion, shored up by hollow faith and aphorisms. If I don't address it, I just might cave in. God, will you smite me just for asking these questions? Is there enough grace? Is anywhere safe? Where can I go when I can't work it out? Where can I go when I'm lost in doubt? Friends, welcome to the Chicago Cultural Center, which was built back in 1897. Can you believe that? It was built to be the Chicago Public Library, which it was for 75 years. And it's absolutely beautiful. This building may be the one building that the Great Chicago Fire created instead of destroyed. That's right, let me tell you how it began. Back at the Chicago Fire, do you know actually this year is the 150th anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire? Well, this disaster that left our great city in ashes, just decimated, it garnered much sympathy throughout the world, even over to London. And in London in particular, there was a guy by the name of A.H. Burgess, who assumed that we had lost our library in the fire. Assumptions can be dangerous. Well, Burgess started a bit of a campaign. He said, people of Britain, let's help Chicago replace their lost library. And sure enough, he put an article in the newspaper that brought the sympathies of a whole nation. People are like, they lost their library, no! There were donations from prominent Brits like uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson and Charles Darwin and even Queen Victoria herself. They started mailing packages with their books wrapped in them. And here in Chicago, we started getting package after package, 8,000 to be exact. And this outpouring of generosity was a bit embarrassing for us because it turns out we never had a library. These highfalutin Brits had assumed a little more of our sophistication than we actually had. Chicagoans were more the cattle slaughtering type than the book reading type, if you know what I mean. And so the leaders of Chicago were like, what do we do with all these books? They found an old water tank and it was deserted so they used it and it just started stacking these piles and piles and piles of books trying to figure out what to do with them. And it was all these books given from London that led to the decision, I suppose we need a building for our books. 
And so the designing and the funding and the construction of this great building was the result. This building was created by mass devotion starting from misinformation. Isn't that interesting? Mass devotion all founded by misinformation. You know, that happens. People believe things that aren't true and they persuade others that they're true. Makes me wonder sometimes, is it possible that this day, Easter, is an expression of mass devotion based on misinformation? Have you ever wondered that? Could we have gotten the whole Jesus thing a little too far? Could it be an exaggeration? Maybe Jesus was a great teacher, but the whole was dead, now alive again. He's God, come to save the world. The only way you get to heaven is through him. Could it be that this day over two billion Christians are misdirected in their zeal and celebration of Jesus? Friends, I do ask these kind of questions. Doubt has been a part of my Christian journey, a big part of my journey. I wonder if you have doubt. So we're going to talk about this Easter. You, you may doubt, for example, the existence of God or doubt Jesus or, or doubt the Bible, or doubt if God really answers prayer, or if he really loves you. Uh, friends, doubt, it's huge. And if you're not doubting now, let me warn you, when the bottom falls out of your world, when some crisis ensues, you'll doubt then. It's actually what happened with the three people we're gonna read about in John chapter 20. Three of Jesus' closest friends, we're going to see that it's John, the apostle, Mary Magdalene, and then Thomas, the apostle. All three of them have their stories told in John 20. And in these three, it was a crisis that caused them to doubt. Their crisis was the death of their best friend. Jesus Christ, in his crucifixion, led to them experiencing disappointment, disillusionment, and loss at a level that plunged them into spiritual doubt. They doubted on that first Easter, the resurrection. Though Jesus had told them and everybody that, I'm going to die, and on the third day, rise again. He had said that over and over and over again. But these three, when they heard that Easter morning that the tomb was empty, did they believe in the resurrection? No, friends, they doubted. You know, this decision of God to acknowledge the doubting of these prominent Christian leaders, it's so refreshing. It's as if God is saying, listen, doubting's normal. Look, doubting shouldn't be a surprise to you. Doubting is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, doubting is part of God's intended plan. No kidding, friends. We're about to see that if we will not freak out, but rather take our doubts to the Lord, like these three did, God has a way of using doubt in various ways to bring about journeys of greater connection to him and greater, more beautiful faith. So the first of our three doubters with their story found in John chapter 20 is John, John the Apostle, John the writer of the Gospel of John. Let me read verse 3. It 
says the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. The other disciple. The other disciple. That's how John referred to himself. He never used his name as a gesture of humility. Not so humble, though. He did point out that he could outrun Peter. It says that he outran Peter, reached the tomb first. Interesting note. Though John doesn't believe it, he's going to research this possible resurrection. Though he doesn't have faith, he's not going to give up in doubt, but pursue the truth. And he goes to the best place he can think of, and that's the tomb. It says he bent over and looking in at the strips of linen lying there, he saw and believed. I love this. Friends, what we see here is John investigating. He's looking in the tomb. He's looking at the burial cloths of Jesus that were laid there where his body had laid. And upon investigation and analysis of the data available, it says he saw and believed. That's a, that's a transformation of doubt into faith. Friends, what I want to point out here is that for some people, you start with doubt, you add investigation, and God brings about belief. In fact, God loves us to investigate. God gave us reason for many reasons, but the number one is to apply it to him. The Lord loves when we are skeptical, when we research and when we go where the facts lead us. He's not afraid of that. In fact, there's a whole division of theology called apologetics. And apologetics is just that. It's using reason to discern what is true about God, about Christ, about Christianity. And friends, this approach to investigation was very important in my journey. One way to say it is this. Science killed my faith, and science resurrected my faith. Back in college, I was a biology major, kind of a wannabe scientific guy. And as a scientist, I came to this place where I really developed a materialistic mindset. What I mean, I mean by materialism is that the material world was all I was convinced was real. And the notion of the spiritual and God and angels just seemed ludicrous to me. And though I didn't want to lose my Christian faith, I did. You could say I doubted the very existence of God. In that journey, like John, I started to investigate. I started to study apologetics, getting into the the study of the origins of the world and asking the question, is there sufficient mechanisms naturally to yield the beauty and complexity of the human body, for example? And I discovered, no, no, this is designed and there must be a a creator involved in this creation. The, the philosophical arguments for the existence of God are another scientific route that I studied. And friends, through a journey of doubts and seeking God and truth through investigation, I came eventually, after a scary journey, I came to a place of newness of faith that was like no faith I had ever felt before. I love John and investigation. But he's not all. 
When we turn to Mary, Mary Magdalene, we find something similar but different. Let me read. This is verse 11. Mary bent over to look into the tomb. Isn't that interesting? Mary did the same thing John did. She bent over and she investigated, and yet she saw what John saw, but it didn't do it for her. She continued to doubt the resurrection. She continued to weep, believing that Jesus, her Jesus, was still dead. But look what happens next. She thinks it's a gardener, and her distraught as she's weeping, she assumes this guy standing there's a gardener, But to her surprise, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out, Rabbi. I love this verse. This one who she assumed was a gardener spoke, and he spoke her name. And oh, the familiar tone of Christ speaking her name with knowledge and affection. It's all it took. And suddenly she turned and said, Rabbi, the passage says she dove at his feet and clung to him. Friends, for Mary, it wasn't investigation, but relationship. Let me put it this way. Doubt plus relationship was what led to belief. And for some people, it's not the intellectual, scientific investigation that leads to them journeying out of doubt, but it's getting to know Jesus. With Mary, it was the familiar sound of him saying her name. She just needed that reminder of, Mary, you know me, and you know what I said about resurrection was true relationship. Let me go to the word she uses, rabbi. Friends, rabbi is a term that meant teacher, but back in Jesus's day, people would follow the rabbi, get to know the rabbi, learn the teaching of the rabbi, but the quality of life of the rabbi. And wouldn't you know, it was this relationship with Jesus that convinced her he was who he said he was, And he did what he said he would do. Some people need to get to know Jesus. You know, as you're struggling to make up your mind, do I believe Jesus? Do I doubt Jesus? You don't have to make up your mind on a stranger. Get to know him. Study the Gospels. And in studying the Gospels, many are convinced by the beauty of the life of Christ that he's no liar. He's speaking the truth through the excellence of the wisdom of his teaching. People have said, this is no mere teaching from human beings. This has divine fingerprints on it. Jesus said as much back in John 7, 17. He says, when people follow me and do what I teach, they'll know in their gut that this is teaching from God. Friends, this relational component had an important role in me coming out of doubt as well. I started in that season of doubt to read the Gospels and get to know Jesus for the first time. And as I did, I I, I just fell in love with him. I was like, this Jesus is so amazing that I know he is true. What he says, he's true. He's not a phony. He's not a lunatic. He is the Messiah as he claimed to be. For some, like Mary, It is doubt plus relationship, getting to know Christ, leads 
to belief. And the last of our three doubters is the most famous doubter of them all, doubting Thomas. Thomas has his story found in verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Week after Easter now, Thomas is still with them. I'll tell you why that's important. Because Thomas doesn't buy it. The rest of the disciples at this point believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thomas still says, guys, I can't do it. In fact, he had told them, he had said, until I can put my finger in the wounds of his hands from his crucifixion, until I can put my hand in the hole of his side again from his crucifixion, Thomas says, I just can't believe. And yet, a week later, he's still there in Christian community. This demonstrates what all three of these uh, doubters demonstrated, and that is persistence. I'm not going to give up. I don't believe, I don't doubt, but I'm going to still press into Christian community, into the truth, in pursuit of belief. Friends, that's so important that we do the same. Now, what happened? Let's find out. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. (laughs) Thomas must have been blown away. This is a miracle, my friends. Though the doors were locked, Jesus somehow transported into their locked house. And Thomas is like, where and how did you just get there? Jesus demonstrates not only supernatural presence, but also supernatural knowledge. When Christ says, Thomas, I know what you're looking for. Hole in the hand, hole in the side, come here and touch. Thomas hadn't told Jesus that, and yet Jesus knew. Friends, this supernatural appearance of Christ is exactly what Thomas needed. It says in verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. You know, Thomas goes from being the greatest doubter to the greatest believer as he gives an affirmation of Christ's deity saying, you are my God. Wow. Real interesting. Sometimes, and I'll put it this way, doubt plus experience leads to belief. And when I say experience, I mean supernatural experience, supernatural encounter with God, miraculous power uh, being placed in your life. That's what happened to Thomas when he saw Christ appear, when he saw Christ know what he was thinking and saying. He's like, I believe. Interestingly, Thomas didn't get what he asked for. Well, he didn't need what he asked for. The Bible says he never actually did touch his hands or his side as he said he wanted to. Thomas thought he needed to investigate like John. Turns out a miraculous experience of the presence of Christ was what he needed. Sometimes that happens with us, you know. We, we think we know how we can get out of our doubt and God says, no, I got a different plan. I know you better than you know yourself. The case of Thomas, it was experience. Some people have encounters with the Lord, experiences of God's supernatural power that bring them to belief. One such person is uh, the subject of this book I just finished reading. It's called Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Joy Davidman was the wife of C.S. Lewis. 
And her story is remarkable. Unlike her husband, so her husband, C.S. Lewis, went from being scholarly atheist to believer through investigation. In the case of Joy Davidman, it was experience. Joy was an atheist herself, an intellectual, but on one fateful night, as her husband was on a drunken binge, not C.S. Lewis, her first husband, her first husband was on a drunken binge somewhere, she, with her little newborn child, was so worried about her baby that she cried out, God, are you there? And wouldn't you know, in that room, she says, God came in. And she felt the presence of God in a peace that she has never known. And she said, I, I didn't need any more convincing. His supernatural presence was so remarkable that from that moment on, she left her atheism and became a believer. For some people, it's investigation. For others, it's relationship. And still others, it's experience. This grand hall of the historic library boasts the largest Tiffany stained glass dome in all the world. It's gorgeous. Are you familiar with Tiffany stained glass? It was made back starting in the 1800s by Louis Tiffany. And Louis was the son of the famous jeweler. You, you know the jeweler, Tiffany and Company jewelry stores? Yeah. Well, Louis wasn't into jewelry like his dad, but he had a unique approach to stained glass that no one else did. Louis used cloudy glass. At first, he would take cheap jelly jars and bottles and break them and use the, the bad glass. Eventually, he went to his glass supplier and said, hey, can you leave in the impurities so that it's murky? They laughed at him. They're like, we've developed all these processes to get rid of the impurities. No, we're not giving you impure glass. So Lewis actually had to start making his own glass. Why did he go to this extra effort? Because he knew that murky glass in low light is pretty ugly. But when the sun rises high and that light eventually works through the glass, the rich, vibrant colors would explode in a way that clear glass could never provide. Friends, it's like that with doubt. Like impurities, no one wants doubt in them. And yet we've just learned that when you come to God, he shines the light of his truth and works his way through your doubt-filled soul in a way that will eventually have a breakthrough and bring about a bright and rich and beautiful faith. Friends, I, I pray that's what happens with you. I pray you continue to, to join us in this journey. Do you realize that you're a part of week one of a five-week series called When in Doubt? So our journey of bringing doubt to God will continue in the weeks ahead. And may each of us find the Lord doing a, a marvelous, personalized work in our hearts that yields in the days ahead vibrant, rich, 
and beautiful faith.